Chapter Thirteen of Mosby's Memoirs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Mosby's Memoirs by Colonel John Singleton Mosby. Chapter Thirteen: The Year After Gettysburg. The period between the Battle of Gettysburg and the arrival of Sheridan in Shenandoah Valley in August 1864 was one of incessant activity on the part of Mosby's command. Scouts, raids, and pitched battles followed each other in rapid succession. Mosby destroyed supply trains, broke up the means of conveying intelligence, thus isolating troops from their base, and confused plans by capturing dispatches while at the same time compelling the use of large numbers of the enemy's troops to protect Washington and the Potomac. Attracted by the chance of booty and desire for adventure, without the irksome duties of camp life, brave and dashing spirits were drawn to Mosby's battalion until the fifteen men with whom he had started his partisan warfare became five companies, regularly mustered into the Confederate service. The main events of these months are told in the following reports which Colonel Mosby made to his superiors. Unlike the formal report of the war records, these records are permeated by the zeal and enthusiasm for his partisan warfare, to which was due, in large measure, Mosby's striking success. The spirit of the man, his boundless energy, and the unbridled zest with which he made war on his country's foes are reflected in every line of his official story. Report, Mosby to Stuart. July, 1863. I sent you in charge of Sergeant Beatty one hundred and forty-one prisoners that we captured from the enemy during their march through this county. I also sent off forty-five several days ago. Included in the number, one major, one captain, and two lieutenants. I also captured one hundred and twenty-five horses and mules, twelve wagons, only three of which I was able to destroy fifty sets of fine harness, arms, etc., etc. Report, Mosby to Stewart, Fauquier County, Virginia, August 4, 1863. I send over in charge of Sergeant Beatty about thirty prisoners captured on an expedition into Fairfax, from which I have just returned. Most of them were taken at Paget's near Alexandria. I also captured about thirty wagons, brought off about seventy horses and mules, having only ten men with me. We lost a good many on the way back, as we were compelled to travel narrow, unfrequented paths. Among the captures were three sutler's wagons. At Fairfax Courthouse a few nights ago I captured twenty-nine loaded sutler's wagons, about one hundred prisoners and one hundred and forty horses. I had brought all off safely near Aldi, where I fell in with a large force of the enemy's cavalry, who recaptured them. The enemy had several hundred. I had only twenty-seven men. We killed and captured several. My loss, one wounded, and captured. Report, Mosby to Stewart, Culpepper, August 20, 1863. On Tuesday, August 11, I captured a train of nineteen wagons near Annandale, in Fairfax County. We secured the teams and a considerable portion of the most valuable stores, consisting of saddles, bridles, harness, etc., we took about twenty-five prisoners. Report, Mosby to Stewart, 
September 30, 1863. On the morning of August 24th, with about thirty men, I reached a point, Annandale, immediately on the enemy's line of communication. Leaving the whole command, except three men who accompanied me, in the woods, concealed, I proceeded on a reconnaissance along the railroad to ascertain if there were any bridges unguarded. I discovered there were three. I returned to the command just as a drove of horses with a cavalry escort of about fifty men were passing. These I determined to attack, and to wait until night to burn the bridges. I ordered Lieutenant Turner to take half of the men and charge them in front, while with the remainder I attacked the rear. In the meantime the enemy had been joined by another party, making their number about sixty-three. When I overtook them they had dismounted at Gooding's Tavern to water their horses. My men went at them with a yell that terrified the Yankees, and scattered them in all directions. A few taking shelter under cover of the houses opened fire upon us. They were soon silenced, however. At the very moment when I had succeeded in routing them, I was compelled to retire from the fight, having been shot through the side and thigh. My men, not understanding it, followed me, which gave time to the Yankees to escape to the woods. But for this accident the whole party would have been captured. As soon as I perceived this I ordered the men to go back, which a portion of them did, just as Lieutenant Turner, who had met and routed another force above, came gallantly charging up. Over one hundred horses fell into our possession, though a good many were lost in bringing them out at night. Also twelve prisoners, arms, etc. I learned that six of the enemy were killed. In this affair my loss was two killed and three wounded. I afterwards directed Lieutenant Turner to burn the bridges. He succeeded in burning one. During my absence from the command, Lieutenant Turner attacked an outpost of the enemy near Waterloo, killing two and capturing four men and twenty-seven horses. About September 15 he captured three wagons, twenty horses, seven prisoners, and a large amount of sutler's goods near Warrenton Junction. On the twentieth and twenty-first instant I conducted an expedition along the enemy's line of communication in which important information obtained was forwarded to the army headquarters, and I succeeded in capturing nine prisoners and twenty-one fine horses and mules. On the twenty-seventh and twenty-eighth instant I made a reconnaissance in the vicinity of Alexandria, capturing Colonel Delaney, aide to the bogus Governor Pierpont, several horses, and burning the railroad bridge across Cameron's Run, which was immediately under cover of the guns of two forts. The military value of the species of warfare I have waged is not measured by the number of prisoners and material of war captured from the enemy, but by the heavy detail it has already compelled him to make, and which I hope to make him increase, in order to guard his communications, and to that extent diminish his aggressive strength. Endorsements Headquarters, Cavalry Corps, October 5, 1863 respectfully forwarded, and recommend that Major Mosby be promoted another grade in recognition of his valuable services. The capture of these prominent Union officials, as well as the destruction of bridges, trains, etc., was the subject of special instructions which he is faithfully carrying out. Signed, J. E. B. Stewart, Major General. Headquarters, November 17, 1863. Respectfully forwarded. Major Mosby is entitled to great credit for his boldness and skill in his operations against the enemy. He keeps them in constant apprehension, and inflicts repeated injuries. 
I have hoped that he would have been able to raise his command sufficiently for the command of a lieutenant-colonel, and to have it regularly mustered into the service. I am not aware that it numbers over four companies. Signed, R. E. Lee, General. Letter to Mrs. Mosby. Fauquier County, October 1, 1863. My dearest Pauline, Just returned from a raid. I went down in the suburbs of Alexandria and burned a railroad bridge in a quarter of a mile of two forts and directly in range of their batteries. Also captured Colonel Delaney, aide to Governor Pierpont. Delaney lives in Alexandria, has a son in my command, who was with me at the time. It was quite an amusing scene, the interview between Colonel Delaney and his son. Just as we were about leaving, the Colonel sarcastically remarked to his son that he had an old pair of shoes he had better take, as he reckoned they were darn scarce in the Confederacy, whereupon the son, holding up his leg, which was encased in a fine pair of cavalry boots just captured from a sutler, asked the old man what he thought of that. I am now fixing my triggers for several good things which, if they succeed, will make a noise. Old Mrs. Shacklett is going to Baltimore next week, and I shall send for some things for you all. In Richmond I got some torpedoes, which have just arrived, and my next trip I shall try to blow up a railroad train. Went to see the Secretary of War. He spoke in the highest terms of the services of my command said he read all my official reports. Also saw old General Lee. He was very kind to me, and expressed the greatest satisfaction at the conduct of my command. Report, Mosby to Stuart, October 19, 1863. On Thursday, 15th, came down into Fairfax, where I have been operating ever since in the enemy's rear. I have captured over one hundred horses and mules, several wagons loaded with valuable stores, and between seventy-five and one hundred prisoners, arms, equipments, etc. Among the prisoners were three captains and one lieutenant. I had a sharp skirmish yesterday with double my number of cavalry near Annandale, in which I routed them, capturing the captain commanding, and six or seven men and horses. I have so far sustained no loss. It has been my object to detain the troops that are occupying Fairfax, by annoying their communications and preventing them from operating in front. I contemplate attacking a cavalry camp at Falls Church tomorrow night. Report. Mosby to Stewart. November 6, 1863. I returned yesterday from a scout in the neighborhood of Catlett's. I was accompanied by Captain Smith and two men of my command. We killed Kilpatrick's division commissary and captured an adjutant four men, six horses, etc. Kilpatrick's division, now reported unfit for duty, lies around Weaverville. I send you four cavalry on Wednesday, captured by my scouts. Report, Mosby to Stewart, November 22, 1863. Since rendering my report of the fifth instant, we have captured about seventy-five of the enemy's cavalry, over one hundred horses and mules, six wagons, a considerable number of arms, equipments, etc. It would be too tedious to mention in detail the various affairs in which these captures have been made, but I would omit the performance of a pleasant duty if I failed to bring to your notice the bold onset of Captain Smith, when, with only about forty men, he dashed into the enemy's camp of one hundred fifty cavalry near Warrenton, killed some eight or ten, wounded a number, 
brought off nine prisoners, twenty-seven horses, arms, equipments, etc. In various other affairs several of the enemy have been killed and wounded. I have sustained no loss. Report. Mosby to Stuart. January 4, 1864. I have the honor to report that during the month of December there were captured by this command over one hundred horses and mules and about one hundred prisoners. A considerable number of the enemy have also been killed and wounded. It would be too tedious to mention the various occasions on which we have met the enemy, but there is one which justice to a brave officer demands to be noticed. On the morning of January 1st I received information that a body of the enemy's cavalry were in Upperville. It being the day on which my command was to assemble, I directed Captain William R. Smith to take command of the men while I went directly toward Upperville to ascertain the movements of the enemy. In the meantime the enemy had gone on toward Rectortown, and I pursued, but came up just as Captain Smith with about thirty-five men had attacked and routed them, seventy-five strong, killing, wounding, and capturing fifty-seven. Endorsements Headquarters, Cavalry Corps, February 13, 1864. Respectfully forwarded. A subsequent report of subsequent operations has been already sent in, this having been mislaid. Major Mosby continues his distinguished services in the enemy's rear, relieving our people of the depredations of the enemy in a great measure. Signed, J. E. B. Stewart, Major General. February 15, 1864. A characteristic report from Colonel Mosby, who has become so familiar with brave deeds as to consider them too tedious to treat, unless when necessary to reflect glory on his gallant comrades. Captain Smith's was a brilliant and most successful affair. Signed, J. A. Seddon, Secretary of War. Report, Mosby to Stewart, February 1, 1864. On Wednesday, January 6, Having previously reconnoitred in person the position of the enemy, I directed Lieutenant Turner, with a detachment of about thirty men, to attack an outpost of the enemy in the vicinity of Warrenton, which he did successfully, routing a superior force of the enemy, killing and wounding several, and capturing eighteen prisoners and forty-two horses, with arms, equipments, etc. On Saturday, January 9, having learned through Frank Stringfellow, Stuart's scout, that Cole's Maryland cavalry was encamping on Loudoun Heights, with no supports but infantry, which was about one-half mile off, I left Upperville with about one hundred men, in hopes of being able to completely surprise his camp by a night attack. By marching my command by file along a narrow path, I succeeded in gaining a position in the rear of the enemy, between their camp and the ferry. On reaching this point, without creating any alarm, I deemed that the crisis had passed, and the capture of the enemy a certainty. I had exact information up to dark of that evening of the number of the enemy, which was between one hundred and seventy-five and two hundred, the position of their headquarters, etc. When within two hundred yards of the camp, I sent Stringfellow on ahead with about ten men to capture Major Cole and staff whose headquarters were in a house about one hundred yards from their camp, while I halted to close up my command. The camp was buried in a profound sleep, there was not a sentinel awake. All my plans were on the eve of consummation, 
when suddenly the party sent with Stringfellow came dashing over the hill toward the camp, yelling and shooting. They had made no attempt to secure coal. Mistaking them for the enemy, I ordered my men to charge. In the meantime the enemy had taken the alarm and received us with a volley from their carbines. A severe fight ensued, in which they were driven from their camp, but, taking refuge in the surrounding houses, kept up a desultory firing. Confusion and delay having ensued from the derangement of my plans, consequent on the alarm given to the enemy, rendered it hazardous to continue in my position, as reinforcements were near the enemy. Accordingly I ordered the men to retire, which was done in good order, bringing off six prisoners, and between fifty and sixty horses. My loss was severe, more so in the worth than the number of the slain. It was four killed, seven wounded, of whom four have since died, and one captured. A published list of the enemy's loss gives it at five killed and thirteen wounded. Among those who fell on this occasion were Captain William R. Smith and Lieutenant Turner, two of the noblest and bravest officers of this army, who thus sealed a life of devotion and of sacrifice to the cause they loved. In numerous other affairs with the enemy, between seventy-five and a hundred horses and mules have been captured, about forty men killed, wounded, and captured. A party of this command also threw one of the enemy's trains off the track, causing a great smash-up. Endorsement Headquarters, Cavalry Corps February 9, 1864 respectfully forwarded. The conduct of Major Mosby is warmly commended to the notice of the commanding general. His sleepless vigilance and unceasing activity have done the enemy great damage. He keeps a large force of the enemy's cavalry continually employed in Fairfax in the vain effort to suppress his inroads. His exploits are not surpassed in daring and enterprise by those of Petite Guerre in any age. Unswerving devotion to duty, self-abnegation, and unflinching courage, with a quick perception and appreciation of the opportunity, are the characteristics of this officer. Since I first knew him in 1861, he has never once alluded to his own rank or promotion. Thus far it has come by the force of his own merit. While self-consciousness of having done his duty well is the patriot soldier's best reward, Yet the evidence of the appreciation of his country is a powerful incentive to renewed effort, which should not be undervalued by those who have risen to the highest point of military and civic eminence. That evidence is promotion. If Major Mosby has not won it, no more can daring deeds essay to do it. Signed, J. E. B. Stewart, Major General. One of those wounded in a fight at Drainsville, February 22nd, was Baron von Massau, who later became the chief of cavalry in the Imperial German Army. Von Massau was the son of the Chamberlain to the King of Prussia, and came to America to see some fighting. He offered his services to General Stuart, who sent him to Mosby. In the Drainsville fight Mosby's command charged a California regiment from two directions and routed it. The Baron was fighting with the rest when he espied Captain Reed of the Californians. Von Massau made a rush at Reed, as if he were about to chop his head off with his sword. The Prussian clung to the sword in a fight instead of using a revolver, as did the rest of Mosby's men. Captain Reed was caught so that he could not defend himself, and made a motion which the Baron interpreted as a sign of surrender. 
the latter signed for reed to go to the rear and rode on into the melee as he turned his back reed drew a revolver and shot him at almost the same instant captain chapman who had seen the incident and divined the californian's intention to shoot drew his revolver and shot captain reed reed was instantly killed and von massau was so seriously injured that he was never able to rejoin mosby's command report mosby to lieutenant colonel taylor assistant adjutant general september 11 1864 on march 10th with a detachment of about 40 men i defeated a superior force of the enemy's cavalry near greenwich severely wounding three and capturing nine prisoners ten horses arms etc on the same day lieutenant a e richards with another detachment of about thirty men surprised an outpost of the enemy near charlestown killed the major commanding and a lieutenant several privates and brought off twenty-one prisoners with their horses arms etc in neither engagement did my command sustain any loss during the months of march and april but few opportunities were offered for making any successful attacks on the enemy the continual annoyances to which they had been subjected during the winter causing them to exert great vigilance in guarding against surprises and interruptions of their communications during most of these months i was myself engaged in scouting to the enemy's rear for major general stuart and collecting information which was regularly transmitted to his headquarters concerning the movements numbers and distribution of the enemy's forces both east and west of the blue ridge during this time my men were mostly employed in collecting forage from the country bordering on the potomac about april fifteen captain richards routed a marauding party of the enemy's cavalry at waterford killing and wounding five or six and bringing off six or eight prisoners fifteen horses arms etc about april twenty fifth i attacked an outpost near hunter's mills in fairfax capturing five prisoners and eighteen horses the prisoners and horses were sent back under charge of lieutenant hunter while i went off on a scout in another direction the enemy pursued and captured the lieutenant and six of the horses about may first with a party of ten men i captured eight of sigel's wagons near bunker hill in the valley but was only able to bring off the horses attached thirty-four in number and about twenty prisoners the horses and prisoners were sent back while with another detachment of twenty men who had joined me i proceeded to martinsburg which place we entered that night while occupied by several hundred federal troops and brought off fifteen horses and several prisoners returning to my command i learned that general grant had crossed the rapidan with about forty men i moved down the north bank of the rappahannock to assail his communications wherever opened and sent two other detachments under captains richards and chapman to embarrass Siegel as much as possible. Captain Richards had a skirmish near Winchester in which several of them were killed and wounded. Captain Chapman attacked a wagon train, which was heavily guarded, near Strasburg, capturing about thirty prisoners with an equal number of horses, etc. Near Belle Plain, in King George, I captured an ambulance train and brought off about seventy-five horses and mules and forty prisoners, etc. A few days after I made a second attempt near the same place, but discovered that my late attack had caused them to detach such a heavy force to guard their trains and line of communication, that
that another successful attack on them was impracticable. About May 10, I attacked a cavalry outpost in the vicinity of Front Royal, capturing one captain and fifteen men and seventy-five horses, and sustained no loss. About May 20, with about 150 men, I moved to the vicinity of Strasburg with a view of capturing the wagon trains of Colonel Hunter, who had then moved up the valley. When the train appeared I discovered that it was guarded by about 600 infantry and 100 cavalry. A slight skirmish ensued between their cavalry and a part of my command, in which their cavalry was routed with a loss of eight prisoners and horses, besides several killed, but falling back on their infantry, my men in turn fell back with a loss of one killed. While we did not capture the train, one great object had been accomplished, the detachment of a heavy force to guard their communications. After the above affair, only one wagon train ever went up to Hunter, which was still more heavily guarded. He then gave up his line of communication. After the withdrawal of the enemy's forces from northern Virginia, for several weeks but few opportunities were offered for any successful incursions upon them. Many enterprises on a small scale were, however, undertaken by detachments of the command, of which no note has been taken. About June 20 I moved into Fairfax and routed a body of cavalry near Centerville, killing and wounding six or eight, and capturing thirty-one prisoners, securing their horses, etc. A few days afterwards we took Duffield's depot, on the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, secured about fifty prisoners, including two lieutenants and a large number of stores. The train had passed a few minutes before we reached the place. On my way there I had left Lieutenant Nelson, commanding Company A, at Charlestown, for the purpose of intercepting and notifying me of any approach in my rear from Harper's Ferry. As I had anticipated, a body of cavalry, largely superior in numbers to his force, moved out from that point. Lieutenant Nelson gallantly charged and routed them, killing and wounding several and taking nineteen prisoners and twenty-seven horses. We sustained no loss on this expedition. On July 4, hearing of General Early's movement down the valley, I moved with my command east of the Blue Ridge for the purpose of cooperating with him and crossed the Potomac at Point of Rocks driving out the garrison, 250 men, strongly fortified, and securing several prisoners and horses. As I supposed it to be General Early's intention to invest Maryland Heights, I thought the best service I could render would be to sever all communications both by railroad and telegraph between that point and Washington, which I did, keeping it suspended for two days. As this was the first occasion on which I had used artillery, the magnitude of the invasion was greatly exaggerated by the fears of the enemy, and panic and alarm spread through their territory. I desire especially to bring to the notice of the commanding general the unsurpassed gallantry displayed by Captain Richards, commanding First Squadron. Our crossing was opposed by a body of infantry stationed on the Maryland shore. Dismounting a number of sharpshooters, whom I directed to wade the river above the point held by the enemy, I superintended in person the placing of my piece of artillery in position, at the same time directing Captain Richards, whenever the enemy had been dislodged by the sharpshooters and artillery, to charge across the river in order to effect their capture. The enemy were soon routed, and Captain Richards charged over, but before he could overtake them they had retreated across the canal, pulling up the bridge in their rear. 
My order had not, of course, contemplated their pursuit into their fortifications, but the destruction of the bridge was no obstacle to his impetuous valour, and hastily dismounting and throwing down a few planks on the sills, he charged across, under a heavy fire from a redoubt. The enemy fled panic-stricken, leaving in our possession their camp equipage, etc. On the morning of July 6, while still encamped near the Potomac, information was received that a considerable force of cavalry was at Leesburg. I immediately hastened to meet them. At Leesburg I learned that they had gone toward Aldi, and I accordingly moved on the road to Ball's Mill in order to intercept them returning to their camp in Fairfax, which I succeeded in doing, meeting them at Mount Zion Church, and completely routing them, with a loss of about eighty of their officers and men left dead and severely wounded on the field, besides fifty-seven prisoners. Their loss includes a captain and lieutenant killed, and one lieutenant severely wounded, the major commanding and two lieutenants prisoners. We also secured all their horses, arms, etc. My loss was one killed and six wounded, none dangerously. After this affair the enemy never ventured, in two months after, the experiment of another raid through that portion of our district. A few days afterwards I again crossed the Potomac in cooperation with General Early, and moved through Poolsville, Maryland, for the purpose of capturing a body of cavalry encamped near Seneca. They retreated, however, before we reached there, leaving all their camp equipage and a considerable amount of stores. We also captured thirty head of beef cattle. When General Early fell back from before Washington, I recrossed the Potomac, near Seneca, moving thence to the Little River Pike in order to protect him from any movement up the south side of the river. The enemy moved through Leesburg in pursuit of General Early, and occupied Ashby's and Snicker's Gaps. I distributed my command so as to most effectually protect the country. These detachments, under Captains Richards and Chapman, and Lieutenants Glasscock, Nelson, and Hatcher, while they kept the enemy confined to the main thoroughfares and restrained their ravages, killed and captured about three hundred, securing their horses, etc. My own attention was principally directed to ascertaining the numbers and movements of the enemy, and forwarding the information to General Early who was then in the valley. At the time of the second invasion of Maryland by General Early, I moved my command to the Potomac, crossed over three companies at Cheeks and Nolan's Fords, while the remaining portion were kept in reserve on this side with the artillery, which was posted on the south bank to keep open the fords, keeping one company under Lieutenant Williams near the ford on the north bank. Two were sent under Lieutenant Nelson to Adamstown, on the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, for the purpose of intercepting the trains from Baltimore, destroying their communications, etc. Apprehending a movement up the river from a considerable body of cavalry, which I knew to be stationed below, I remained with a portion of the command guarding the forts. Lieutenant Nelson reached the road a few minutes too late to capture the train, but destroyed two telegraph lines. On his return he met a force of the enemy's cavalry, near Monocacy, which was charged and routed by the gallant Lieutenant Hatcher, who took about fifteen men and horses, besides killing and wounding several. We recrossed the river in the evening, bringing about seventy-five horses and between twenty and thirty prisoners. Our loss? Two missing. The battle at Mount Zion attracted great attention at the time. 
especially in the north, and made the already redoubtable figure of Mosby an altogether awe-inspiring one. The capture of Major Forbes, Colonel Lowell's fighting major, was also an important incident in Mosby's life, as here began the lifelong friendship between the two families. The story of the battle was well told in the official report of Colonel Charles R. Lowell, Jr., 2nd Massachusetts Cavalry. The report reads as follows. Near Falls Church, Virginia, July 8, 1864. I have the honor to report Major Forbes's scout as completely as is yet possible. I have not talked with Lieutenant Cools or Captain Stone, who is badly wounded, but send what I learned on the ground. Major Forbes left here with 150 men, 102nd Massachusetts Cavalry, 50 13th New York Cavalry, Monday, P.M. Tuesday, A.M., went through Aldi, and found all quiet toward the gaps. Tuesday, P.M., went by Ball's Mill to Leesburg. Heard of Mosby's raid at Point of Rocks, and learned that he had sent four or five wagons of plunder through Leesburg, under a guard of about sixty men, the afternoon before. Heard nothing of any other force this side of the ridge. We returned that night to the south of Goose Creek, as directed, and on Wednesday, A.M., went again by Ball's Mill to Leesburg. Still heard nothing of Mosby or any force. From what I learned from citizens, I think Mosby passed between Leesburg and the Potomac some time on Tuesday, crossed Goose Creek, and moved westward toward Aldi on Wednesday. Learned of Major Forbes' second visit to Leesburg, and laid in ambush for him at Ball's Mill. Major Forbes returned from Leesburg by Center's Mill, four miles above, came down by Aldi, and halted for two or three hours about one and a half miles east on the Little River Pike. When Mosby learned this, he moved south and struck the pike about one and a quarter miles east of the Major's position, being hidden till he had reached about half a mile west on that pike. Major Forbes was duly notified by his advance guard, mounted his men, and moved them from the north to the south of the pike. As the rear was crossing, Mosby fired one shell from his twelve-pounder, which burst entirely too high. As Major Forbes formed on the south, his advance guard, which had dismounted and fired as Mosby came up, fell back, still keeping a little north of the pike, and took an excellent position somewhat on the flank. Up to this time, I think, all the dispositions were admirable. Major Forbes' two squadrons were formed, his third squadron and rear guard not formed, but nearly so, and no confusion. Mosby's men, who were not in any order, but were down the road in a nick, had just reached the fence corner some two hundred and twenty-five yards off, and a few had dismounted, under a fire from the advance guard, to take down the fence. When two panels of the fence were down, the men trotted through for about seventy-five yards, and came gradually down to a walk, and almost halted. Major Forbes' first platoon was ordered to fire with carbines. Here was the first mistake. It created confusion among the horses, and the squadron in the rear added to it by adding a few pistol-shots. Had the order been given to draw sabres and charge, the rebels would never have got their gun off, but I think Major Forbes, seeing how uneasy his horses were at the firing, must have intended to dismount some of his men. At any rate he attempted to move the first squadron by the right flank. The rebels saw their chance, gave a yell and our men, in the confusion of the moment, broke. 
the two rear squadrons went off in confusion. Attempts were made, with some success, to rally parts of the first squadron in the next field, and again near Little River Church, one mile off. Captain Stone was wounded here, and I believe all the non-commissioned officers of A and L companies present were wounded or killed. There was little gained. I have only to report a perfect rout, and a chase for five to seven miles. We lost Major Forbes, Lieutenant Amory, and Mr. Humphreys, Chaplain, from 2nd Massachusetts, and Lieutenant Burns, 13th New York Cavalry, prisoners, all unhurt. Captain Stone, 2nd Massachusetts, and Lieutenant Schuyler, 13th New York, were very badly wounded. Lieutenant Cools alone came safely to camp. Of men we lost, killed outright, seven, Second Massachusetts, five, Thirteenth New York. Wounded, we brought in twenty-seven and left ten too bad to move. I fear of the wounded at least twelve will die. About forty others have come to camp half-mounted, and Mosby reported to have forty-four prisoners, quite a number, you will see, still unaccounted for. Some of them are probably wounded, and some still on their way to camp and others will be made prisoners. Mosby went up toward Upperville with his prisoners and his dead and wounded about midnight Wednesday. I reached the ground about 11.30 a.m. and remained in plain sight for about three hours, then searched through all the woods and moved to Centerville, where I again waited an hour in hopes some stragglers would join us. We only picked up half a dozen, however. The soldiers and citizens all speak in high terms of the gallantry of the officers. Major Forbes especially remained in the first field till every man had left it, emptied his revolver, and in the second field, where Company A tried to stand, he disabled one man with a sabre and lunged through Colonel Mosby's coat. His horse was then killed and fell on his leg, pinning him till he was compelled to surrender. More than one hundred horses were taken. Accoutrements, arms, etc., will also be missing. I cannot yet give the precise number. Mosby's force is variously estimated at from 175 to 200, Mrs. Davis and her daughter putting it at 250 to 300 men. I think he had probably about 200. What his loss is, I cannot say, as he picked up all his dead and wounded, and took them off in the night. The Union people in Aldi report that he took them in five wagons. A wounded sergeant reports hearing the names of three or four spoken of as killed. One mortally wounded man was left on the ground. Mosby actually lost seven men wounded. His force was about 175 men. I think the chance was an excellent one to whip Mosby and take his gun. I have no doubt Major Forbes thought so, too, as the wounded men say there was not enough difference in number to talk about. The chance was lost. End of chapter.